So you start to think about, well, what are my unique characteristics, qualities, skills, and preferences? And how do I package those up so that people start to see me in the way that I want them to see me? Welcome to Claiming Your Confidence, the podcast. I'm Katrina Blowers, and as a journalist, speaker, and mentor, I know what it's like to have confidence. I also know what it's like to have to dig really deep and find it all over again. I've interviewed hundreds of high-profile people, and this is what I know for sure. We all suffer fear, imposter syndrome, and self-doubt, no matter how shiny our life appears to be. So let's reframe the confidence conversation together and uncover the hacks and secrets to get more of it. Claiming your confidence starts now. Carly Lyon has been the personal publicist for supermodel Miranda Kerr, pioneers in the world of wellness, best-selling New York Times authors, and she's also helped launch the worldwide phenomenon, The Secret. Carly says one of the fastest ways to find yourself is to put yourself out there. And if you have a message you want to share or a desire to be seen and heard, your time is now. In this episode, you'll learn how to cultivate your own brand the heartbreaking story that led Carly to claim her confidence and how to find your inner voice and realize your purpose. Let's claim our confidence with Carly Lyon. Welcome, Carly. I'm so thrilled that you can join me. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Katrina. This is exciting. Yes. Now, what I would love to to sort of set the scene, I get people to talk about where they are right now because, you know, this is obviously not a visual medium and so people are listening to us while they're out walking the dog or whatever it is. And so just so people can get a bit of a picture in their mind of where you are and what you're wearing right now. (laughs) Okay. I, I'm in my office and my office is on the third level of our house and we live on a river. So it's a sunny day. I'm looking out to the river right now. It's low tide. And what am I wearing? Okay. Am I going to be really honest? So yes. I'm wearing, moment of truth. <laughs> I'm wearing just a black top and I am still wearing my pajama pants. I even had a shower this morning, but then I put them back on because it was so cold. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I haven't, I haven't taken them off yet. So that's I um, love this. kind of school holidays. And just so everyone knows that in your in your working, you know, um, you, when you do workshops or when you speak, mm. you have you have a signature look, which is usually black. Is that right? And these killer yes. pair of heels. You need to describe those for us. Oh, I have a few now, but yes, I've got a particular black pair of heels that actually have a lipstick as the heel. And um, they, I bought them in Italy. And then I have another pair that I love to wear. And there is a knotty shoe. And it's got a thunder strike, not a thunder, lightning strike, excuse me. And which to me uh, represents Wonder Woman. So, yes, high heels are definitely my go to when I'm presenting and I'm running my workshops. Or, But when I'm in my office and, and I'm writing, which is what I do a lot of in my little cave here, I actually have 
got no shoes on, no makeup. And yeah, I really just like to peel it right back. Mm, That's beautiful. So let's describe your journey to how you got to where you are today, because it was kind of unconventional, wasn't it? It it was unconventional. Yeah. I, I, I always say I dropped out of school at 15, but the truth was they asked me to leave because I was such a rebel. (laughs) (laughs) And they just, they just didn't want me at the school. I was at a private Catholic girls school and, um, I didn't really suit what the ideal student looked like. So I left and my dad said to me, well, you don't have to go back to school as long as you're working. And so that was my cue to go out and find a job, which happened to be hairdressing. And I did that for three years. And it was really just my way of funding my party going lifestyle. And it wasn't until I woke up one morning and I was having a cigarette for breakfast, which the thought of it makes me so ill now. But had a cigarette for breakfast and I just thought this is not really what I want my life to look like. It wasn't so much about the fact that I was hairdressing because I think that's a wonderful profession for lots of people, but it was just the whole picture. I was partying a lot. I wasn't really involved with my career and and I was I had a lot of unhealthy habits. So that triggered a change and I went back to finish my high school certificate and while I was studying, I was waitressing. And this guy that I was waitressing with mentioned that a health retreat up in Queensland in the Currumbin Valley called Eden, it was Camp Eden then, they ran internship programs where you went and you could stay for two months and live in the health retreat. So I decided to do that and my life literally, I mean, up to two months of no sugar, no dairy, no alcohol, no smoking, no media, no phones, up every morning at 5.30, yoga, tai chi, all vegan, healthy, beautiful, fresh foods. I mean, I just did a complete 180 and that was kind of the beginning. At that point, I knew I wanted to work in the wellness space or at least somehow somewhere in the wellness space. And yeah, that kind of started my journey, which then eventually led me into PR in a roundabout way. You told this amazing story on your Instagram feed, and I'm definitely going to link to your Instagram in the show notes because uh, any women out there who are interested in, you know, being inspired or putting themselves out there more need to follow you on Instagram because you give so much value in your feed. Uh, But there was this one story that you told about how you sent a letter, I think it was, to Hay House. Am I remembering that correctly? Can you tell that story? Yeah, so so when I decided I wanted to to go into wellness, I was, you know, I was an aspiring health and wellness guru at that point. Didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to be in wellness. And one of my friends invited me to come along to see a speaker by the name of Dr. John D. Martini. So I went along to watch him speak and I just resonated with everything that he was saying and at the end of the talk I went up to him and I asked him to sign my book and he did And I remember walking out and I opened up my book and I looked down and I could see the Hay House logo. And I just thought to myself, I'm going to work there. I'm going to work for Dr. John Martini, and I'll contact the publisher. So at that point, of course, it wasn't so much just email your resume. I literally printed it out, sent it over. And it wasn't until maybe, I can't remember exactly, but let's say it was three or six months later And I got a call from Leon Naxon, who's the managing director of Hay House Australia. 
And he said, Kalia, I would like you to come in to meet with me. At that point, you know, I'm 22 or thereabouts. And I I didn't even question, firstly, I didn't even think he was the managing director, but I didn't even think to question why he would be calling me. I just thought, oh, maybe they've got a job. So I was young and naive. So I went into the meeting and he basically just said, look, we don't have any jobs available. But the reason I had to call you was I was cleaning out my desk because we were about to go on tour with another author. And I picked up your resume. And at that very moment on the radio, the announcer said, and here is Carly. And so he said, wow. I need to call you. Yeah. So, and Leon is, I mean, he's one of my dear friends today and remains a mentor to me. And that is exactly how he lives his life, which is very obviously in line with the Hay House universe. And so, yeah, so at the end of that meeting, he said, look, we don't have any uh, jobs available, but we do have one role in PR. You obviously don't have the experience, but I actually think you would be great in PR. And so that led me to go and study PR. He got me work experience at Marks and Sparks, which was one of the top agencies in Sydney at that point. And um, yeah, that, that was the beginning of my journey in PR. Had you ever thought of PR before that conversation? No, I didn't even know. Wow. I mean, I think a lot of people, and especially we're going back 15 or so years now, PR was obviously very different to what it is today. And I, I don't think a lot of people ever really understand what PR people do. So no, I didn't know anything about it. So he was the one, one person who said, you know, I think you'd be good at this and that's, I just kind of followed that advice blindly. And I suppose I was also influenced by the fact that I knew that meeting was meant to be. Uh, you know, when I opened that that book and I saw Hay House, the the logo, I felt this feeling in the pit of my stomach. Then when I went to the meeting, I felt that that feeling again. And I think when you really tune into your body and you listen and feel for cues, of the direction you should go in, I think that you just have to trust that sometimes. And so I just did. You did eventually end up going to work for Dr. Demartini. So how did that happen? Okay, so let's say fast forward another six months. So at that point, I had taken Leon's advice, went and enrolled myself into business college to start studying PR. And I get a call from Leon and he says, okay, Dr. John Demartini is coming into town. I know how much you love him. I need somebody to take him to a 2UE radio interview. Would you do that for me? And I was like, I mean, you don't even have to ask me twice. And it's one of those moments in my life and my career that I still cringe about because I went all out. I went and bought this whole new outfit. I hired a black (laughs) town car with a driver I booked us into this restaurant for dinner. Like it was just, and you've been to a radio (laughs) studio, obviously. You know, people are literally wearing their pajamas and like it's not a place you dress up to go to. So anyway, I took him to this radio interview and then took him for dinner afterwards. And I basically at that point just said, I do PR, I I run my own business, which of course I didn't. I was a, a student And I would like to do your PR. I'd like to represent you in Australia. And he said, look, 
you know, Australia is such a small part of my business and I'm not really looking for someone right now, but let's just stay in touch and come to some of my workshops and we can just see what happens. And for whatever reason, again, I put it down to the fact that I was so young, I was ambitious and kind of just didn't really care. I just started, I just started doing his PR, even though he didn't hire me. So I started setting up all of these interviews and these opportunities. I I set up this big book talk and it ended up being standing room only with people spilling out onto the streets because I, I promoted it well. And at, let's say I did that for three months for free. I did, you know, and this was him saying he didn't really need someone, but I still continued to book him into all these places and he wasn't saying <laughs> no. Uh, and I sat him down again and I said, John, I really want to represent you and I want to be your publicist here in Australia. And he said, well, you know, do you have all the contacts and are you sure you're ready to take that on? And again, I was still studying. I had no, no contacts. I was just, it was blind ambition. And I said, yes, absolutely. And I said, yes, not because I was trying to be deceitful, but I was so passionate about his work. And obviously I had learned the framework of PR. So I just knew that I would do whatever it took for me to get the results. And I just and I did. And I ended up representing him not only in Australia, but New Zealand, Asia. And I ended up traveling to the US and consulting to his head office. So it became a seven year long working relationship. That is amazing. And speaking of confidence, that would take a huge amount of confidence in yourself. Where do you think that came from? It's funny when I hear you say that because I never and have never considered myself an outrightly confident person. I must admit, doing hairdressing definitely brought me out of my shell because I was always the quiet type. I, you know, never the center of attention. And whilst I could always hold myself and have a conversation with somebody, I I wasn't necessarily a, a forthcoming person or or a confident person. So hairdressing definitely helped me with that because I think you're just pushed into a situation where you're constantly meeting new people. You have to get out of your comfort zone in that regard if you're a quiet person. So I suppose that would have contributed to it. And plus I was just so passionate and so aligned with his work that I just... I just knew I really wanted to do it. It was, for me, it was a bigger picture at play. It wasn't just about me and what I was capable of. I just knew that his work is, and it is, it's so powerful. So from there, your career just went from strength to strength. You were involved in launching The Secret, which I think a lot of people would remember. That that changed a lot of people's lives. Um, and, of course, you then went on to become uh, Miranda Kerr's personal publicist. Talk to us about how that opportunity unfolded. So that all happened again. It's so funny. Sometimes the biggest moments in your life and your direction come as an accident. And I love making a point of that because I think we try to plan out our whole life and we remain so stuck on one direction or one plan that we miss all of the other things that just pop out of nowhere. So with Miranda, my brother is a model or was a model for many years. And so she was in his stratosphere and 
she was just starting to get some work with Victoria's Secret. She wasn't a an angel yet, but she was just starting to work with them. And we were obviously all family friends. And I said, well, this is a huge deal. You've got to actually start like putting this out there. People should know that you're working with Victoria's Secret. This is massive. And you know what? <laughs> I'll just do your favor. I'll just do it for you for a little while because I think you've really got to get this out there. And so again, what turned into, I don't know, maybe a few months of me just helping her out ended up being a, a seven year relation, working relationship, almost eight. And what turned into a little simple favor then just became this juggernaut that we all know of as Miranda Kerr. So I literally got to watch that transformation of her going from a known model in Australia to this international megastar. And at that point, she was literally the hottest thing in Australia in terms of being an export and a brand name. So it was just a remarkable journey. And I am so grateful for the experience. She still remains one of the hardest working women I've ever known. And she's an incredible businesswoman. And I think a lot of people just assume that, you know, she's genetically blessed and she has a great team around her. And that's, it couldn't be further from the truth. Yes, she does have a great team around her and she surrounds herself with good people, but she is very smart. She's a very smart operator. The other thing uh, you shared with me in um, I did your Branding You workshop last year yes. when you came to Brisbane and one of the things, one of the little secrets that you shared with me was that because um, I was saying to you I don't love having my photo taken and you said Miranda Kerr once told you that you've got to look at the camera as though you are looking at the person you love. And I yes. just love that tip because that kind of transformed the way that I now feel about getting my photo photo taken. Oh. I, I imagine my partner, I imagine kind of sending those sort of yes. warm vibes down the lens. And I'd love to know what else have you learned about confidence by observing Miranda Kerr? Oh God, that's a and that's a really great question. You know, one of the things that she was always so good at and still remains great at is and she made it known through her books and through some of her interviews that I was obviously privy to that she always just said yes. So even, you know, she had lots of opportunities coming within reason, obviously there were opportunities that would obviously not work for her, but when there were opportunities that maybe took her out into a new audience or took her out of her comfort zone you know, whether it was making a cameo on a TV show or doing, I don't know, all sorts of different things, she would always say yes. And I think I learned that from her and watching her. And, yeah, just she was just really brave. And, and I think just watching her inspired me to know that you can be a very normal human being, flaws and all, but still be brave enough to just put yourself out there. And I think that's one of the benefits of, of getting up close and personal with these incredible individuals who are achieving so much in the world is 
you very quickly you take them off the pedestal that a lot of people put them on because you just you get to know them as a person and as a a human being and so you suddenly realize oh all of these people who I maybe saw as being these superhumans and endowed with these super gifts it's actually just an illusion they're normal people with flaws and all as I said but they're just making different decisions and they're pushing themselves in different ways it's definitely something I've learned since I went um, started talking more publicly about how I have recently struggled with confidence you know I had a, a panic attack while I was reading the news and I really had to dig deep and relearn everything that I thought that I knew about confidence mm. prior to that. And when I started sharing that and talking about that, um, not just in my circle of friends, but people who I used to put on a pedestal and thought that they, mm. you know, had such shiny lives and had it all together. It's remarkable, A, how normal people are who you think are, you know, sort of superhuman and B, that everyone has the same struggles, no matter how successful they are, no one ever arrives at that point where they've got it all together, they're 100% confident about everything. It yes. seems to be a daily struggle. And what you said before about bravery is key. Um, I think often the most successful people are the most courageous. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. I think that, you know, I always like to think that confidence isn't so much a feeling, it's more a decision. It's more about I'm still going to feel scared. I'm still going to feel insecure. I'm still going to feel unsure, but I'm going to do it anyway. And then when you do it and you realize that you survived and you didn't die and the world didn't end, it, it just becomes a, a decision you're more comfortable to make and trust yourself again in the future. So it's something that can be developed. But, you know, I, I always like to share the story whenever I get up to speak and the few times that I've been invited and there's a big audience like I don't feel confident I walk I'm walking up to the stage I'm shaking like a leaf they can't see that and they don't know that but I'm still making the decision to get up there anyway so I think if you're not always chasing for that elusive feeling of just having it all together just knowing that you're you've got it and you're ready like I don't think that actually exists especially because once you do something and you get good at that or you get comfortable in doing that obviously you want to grow and do something that's out of that comfort zone and you're never really going to feel ready and confident to do it but you've got to override those feelings and still make that decision to do it anyway. I love that. Now you had a, I guess, a similar moment in your own career where you decided that all of the incredible branding expertise that you were giving people like Miranda Kerr and, and John Demartini, you wanted to give that to the regular person. <laughs> um, and, and there was a time, I guess, where you decided that in order to do that, you would need to build your own brand. Yes. What, what was behind that decision and how did you go about that? Yeah, so I definitely recognized that I hadn't done anything to build my own personal brand at that point where I went on extend, extended maternity leave and I had to and I had changed as a person having kids changed me and my values and my priorities 
And at that point I decided, well, I didn't really want to go back into doing what I was doing and I hadn't done anything to build my own personal brand. So I realized, you know, I actually went on the journey of asking myself, well, why didn't I do anything and realized that it was because I was fearful and insecure and I knew that I probably wasn't the only person in the world that felt like that. And that saddened me because there's a lot of people with a lot of amazing things to offer and a lot of experiences that can really help other people. But because they're feeling insecure and not confident enough to put themselves out there, they're just not doing it. And so we're all missing out on that. Uh, so I realized I could use all of my experience having worked with all of these incredible people in PR. So I could use my professional experience coupled with my understanding of why people don't generally do it and create something that could really help people. So yes, that, that ended up turning into a whole series of workshops and it meant that I had to actually put myself out there and share my ideas and expertise to actually help people. And that it was a slow process at first, but the thing that really accelerated it for me was actually losing my best friend unexpectedly. And that was a moment in my life where trauma became a real gift because it really shook me up and it made me realize that you know, life is so short, time is precious, and it can be gone at any moment, any moment. And all of these crazy things that I'm saying to myself, or all of these silly reasons I'm not putting myself out there, are just imaginary, and they're not really worth my time or energy anymore. And so that was the one thing that really just shook me up and propelled me forward. And I feel like that made me more courageous and brave to just put myself out there because when you go through an experience like that you really realize it's so not worth all of that stress and worry that you put towards thinking what are people going to say how am I going to be judged you know when I really questioned why I wasn't putting myself out there when I really questioned who the everyone was when I kept saying oh everyone's going to judge me or everyone's going to think I'm crazy when I really questioned who that was Katrina, it came down to three of my colleagues. They were three people in a world filled with 7.7 .7 billion people. I was worried about three people. And I think a lot of the time when Pete, when I push my clients to, to really get honest about who their everyone is, because that's often what we say, oh, everyone's going to think I'm crazy. Everyone's going to think I'm vain. Everyone's going to, going to think you know, I'm up myself, all of these silly things. It comes down to like a handful of people that we're worried about. And knowing that by me putting myself out there, I was helping other people. It just became a no brainer really, but it's still difficult today. I still get yeah. nervous and I still don't feel confident every day. And I feel like we all are like that all the time. I definitely agree. And it's something you have to override constantly. I used to um, be quite paralyzed by that whole, what what will other people think of me? And it, and for me, it wasn't anyone specific. It was just 
anonymous random people and you um in in our workshop that that we did last year together you said um you know you've got to really override that because there are gifts that you have that potentially other people are missing out on because you're not putting yourself forward in the world I'd love to know what are some other reasons that people don't step up that um with all the women that you've worked with what are some of the other things that are commonly holding us back so it's I'm a thought of I'm not ready. So I, I I'm not I haven't experienced enough or I haven't gotten to a certain level. Uh, I don't have enough credibility. So these are all things that they'll often lean on as excuses as to why they're not putting themselves out there. So I'm not ready. Another one is just I'm not good enough, and that's a big one. A big one is people thinking I'm not good good enough. And also another one is that, oh, nobody really cares what I have to say. So I would say they're really the three main reasons. Everyone has their own version, but when you really dig deep, it just comes down to I'm not ready, I'm not good enough, nobody cares what I've got to say, and I'm scared. I'm scared of what people are going to think of me. That's a that's a huge one. And what's upsetting about that one is often, and you know, you might remember this in the workshop, but it, the truth is that often it is our closest friends and family who are going to be the most critical of us making that decision to start putting ourselves out there and to start showing up in a more powerful way. And I always say to my clients, be prepared for that because that's going to happen inevitably. And when you're prepared for it, when you expect it, then it doesn't have as much power over you. So if you go in knowing, okay, I'm going to start putting myself out there. I'm going to start really owning my personal brand and really stepping into my power, so to speak. And I am ready for my friends and family and colleagues to be the first ones to basically criticize or disapprove, you just, it just doesn't have as much power because I think sometimes what people do is they go, oh my God, I've got this great idea. And yes, I'm not feeling confident, but you know what? I'm going to, they get pumped up. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm ready. I've got everything ready. I'm about to launch. And then they show their friends and family because they're usually the first people that we want to tell and they get knocked back and one of them will say, oh, I don't really like it or no, I don't think you should do it or it's a real risk. I think you should wait until you've got a different position. Like everyone's got all these different opinions and it stops them there and then. Whereas if you know, okay, I'm going to be telling them and for sure there's going to be disapproval and criticism, but I'm going to push through anyway because they're not actually my target audience, then I think that's a much healthier approach. That's great advice. Before we continue with this incredible conversation, I wanted to let you know that for the month of September, I'm taking 20% off my Becoming a Confident Communicator online course. This is seven video masterclasses plus workbooks you can keep forever. They're made just for time poor people and I'm with you every step of the way teaching you the exact techniques I use on TV and when I speak in public. 
week. It'll show you how to tell and sell your story with more poise and polish, whether you're on stage, on screen, or even on your socials. Head to katrinablowers.com and use the code SEPTEMBER20. That code again, SEPTEMBER20. You use that code at checkout for 20% off for September 2020 only. Okay, let's get back to the show. Now, one of the the big things that you talk about is the importance of having a personal brand. Now, for those of us who've never thought of this before, how important is it and where do you even start? So it's extremely important. So my basic definition of a personal brand is how you are recognized and remembered. So even if you're a Joe Nobody in terms of you don't see yourself being out in the public arena, there's still people in your life that you are recognized and remembered by, even if it's just your colleagues or it might be a community organization that you're part of. There's still people that see you and remember who you are. So my, I suppose, point when it comes to personal branding is when you become intentional about how you're recognized and remembered, when you start to really think about what are the words that are associated with my name or how how are people perceiving me and what am I doing to shape the way I am perceived? When you become intentional, there's real power to that because I think you just start to approach your whole sense of being differently because you know that you do matter and that you're I don't want to use the word controlling, but you're shaping how other people see you. So you start to think about, well, what are my unique characteristics, qualities, skills, and preferences? And how do I package those up so that people start to see me in the way that I want them to see me? So I don't know if that may, if that makes sense, but I, I think it is important, and especially today, Katrina, because so much of what we do and the way we communicate is online. So all of a sudden, social media has forced us to sum ourselves up in 140 words or less. That's probably the one thing I love about social media is it is actually whether we like it or not, we're now forced to become intentional about how we're showing up because it's in black and white. It's up there. We have to write it out in our own words. So it's applicable to everyone. And if COVID has taught us something, it is absolutely that, that we all have a personal brand, but we may not all be intentionally shaping it in a powerful way to the to our greatest ability anyway. So do you advise, and, and I'm wondering whether you did this with clients like Miranda, do you advise that you sit down and write out like a core list of values or a, um, or, or some words that you would like to be associated with your name when people think of you? Absolutely. I, you know, I'm not going to lie. I, I can't ever remember having 
a distinct conversation where we actually map it out. It was always an implied understanding of what those brand values and core pillars of the brand were. So if we take someone like Miranda, obviously, and I would imagine now certainly it's obvious to the world that she was always very much aligned with wellness, sustainability. These are all core values and the, the things that she demonstrated in her life. So it wasn't something that we we went in and we said, okay, right now it's really trendy and fashionable to be all about health and wellness. It wasn't, it was looking at who she was as a person, what she loved, and what were some of her defining characteristics, and then making sure that they were the things that we were really wanting to put out in the world. So when we came to who we were aligning with in terms of the media, how we were positioning her interviews and the way in which she was answering her questions, we always were keeping in the back of our mind that or the charities she was aligning herself to, the projects that we were doing to get her name out there more, it was always aligned to those kind of pillars of health and wellness, sustainability. It, it ran through her book project. It ran through her charity agreements. It ran through her skincare line. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a really smart way for, let's say, an up-and-coming personality or somebody who's just starting to put themselves out there to really take that moment to stop and think about what are the things that are defining in my life or what are the pillars of who I am as a person that I can communicate out through onto my platforms or maybe in the book that I write or the talks that I give or et cetera, et cetera, the, the brands I partner with. Yeah, uh, and I, I think because we had this discussion and I was telling you that sometimes I really struggle with what to put out there on social media because it's it's one thing to, you, you know that you do have to brand yourself and you also, you know, social media is fun and it's it's a it's a good way to engage with, with other people and connect with people. But there's, I, I was telling you, there's a fine line between feeling really self-conscious and vain. <laughs> Yeah. And and also putting yourself out there. So that's, uh, I love the pillars because that then gives you a framework around what to post, how much of yourself to put out there yeah. and um, and some content ideas as well. Absolutely. And, you know, it's not only about that. It's also about, well, these are the things I love and these are the things that are true to me and these are the things that my life demonstrates as being high on my value list. So what are the what are the lessons, the experiences, the stories that I can tell that are actually going to be valuable to my audience? So with you, Katrina, you spoke earlier about how you had that panic attack and, you know, that really changed the way you you encountered or you thought of confidence. And I'm sure that's been a massive influence with what you've done now with claiming your confidence. There's that mm. whole storyline. So you've gone and thought, okay, well, this is what's happened to me. This is some, you know, a personal experience, but how can I turn this into something that can be valuable to the people that follow me or that I have influence on or upon 
And that's where that next step is, is so you know who you are, you know what you stand for, but then you also need to be aware of what value can I offer in all of that to the people that are following me or that I have influence on. So if we go back to Miranda for a second, you know, she now has a beautiful organic skincare line that is genuinely helping people with their skincare issues. She also shares healthy, nutritious recipes that are genuinely helping people with their health and wellness. And it's not always about changing the world. You might be a comedian that's just making people laugh. But it, it, at some point, you also need to start to think about what problem am I solving and for whom? And that's also part of your personal brand because without having an audience and influence, you, you don't really have the ability to have an impact. So you need to, be, you need to think about your audience too. I'd love to talk to you about another reason that a lot of, especially women, get stuck or don't put themselves forward. And I was even telling you this before we began our podcast chat today, that it almost stopped me from doing this podcast, is this feeling of, well, there are already so many other people out there doing X, Y, Z, so what could I possibly contribute to that? Or it's been done before, so I can't get in and, and shake it up in that arena as well what would you say to that so I'm going to quickly throw back a question to you what's one of your favorite books or one of your favorite authors oh gosh um oh gosh uh you know it's actually one of my favorite books that I've read lately is one that you recommended to me which was Shoe Dog by Phil Knight the founder of Nike loved that book okay so perfect so imagine and that was such a great book imagine if Phil Knight thought to himself, oh, God, so many people have written a business memoir. I, I like as if I have got to be another voice on top of everyone else. And, you know, and remember when you're someone that influential and with such a wide reach, reaching kind of ability to reach such a wide ranging audience, the pressure is even greater, right? So, it it goes back to that same thing of we're all individuals and imagine if your favorite author didn't write that book or imagine if Oprah never decided to not do a talk show because she thought, oh, it's been done before or imagine if a, a doctor didn't go into medicine because he thought, he or she thought, oh, but there's too many doctors in the world. The the truth of the matter is that there's no other Katrina in the world. So you could be doing the same things as you could write a book, you could do a podcast, you could have a website, all of the things that are already out there and, you know, talking about confidence, which is lots of people out there talking about confidence, but no one can share that same story that you shared and no one's going to do it in your way. And no one's got the same experiences that you've had and no one's got the same relationships that you bring to the table on your podcast. So, you know, even though the channel might be crowded and there might be lots of people doing similar things, they're still by right different. And so Mm. it, it would be so sad if, 
we did we stopped doing things because they'd already been done because quite frankly I think we're at a point where everything feels like it's been done but it hasn't been done in in our unique way in fact there's a beautiful quote by Mark Twain which I can't remember it word for word but he basically talks about the idea that there is no original ideas out there anymore that you know all of our ideas are like a kaleidoscope and we put in all of our different experiences and all the ideas we've got from out there in the world but the way that we turn it it means that we see the world differently and it, and that in itself becomes the kind of new idea and i love that you know because it's so yeah. true they they're really how how can there ever be an original thought because we're getting influenced by so many different things and ideas from different people that we're just a mixture of all of the, we're, we're a melting point pot of all the other ideas that we've ever had before. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful way of looking at it. Thank you. Now, we are getting to the end of our time together, so I'm going to throw some rapid-fire questions at you now. And you have given us a whole range of tips already, but what would be your go-to quick confidence hack? Okay, so my go-to quick confidence hack is know that you will never feel ready, that there is no such thing necessarily as feeling completely confident. It's just about doing it anyway, just making the decision and taking action anyway. And when you are feeling nervous, so you've got those butterflies in your stomach, start to think of them as butterflies of excitement instead of butterflies Mm. of nervousness. I love that. And I use that all the time. And in fact, I heard um, another quote, and I, I can't remember who said this, but they said, you want to be in control of your butterflies so that they're flying in formation. <laughs> and I think of that all the time. I think I, I'm going to use this opportunity to think about how excited I am and um, interpret those butterflies as a feeling of excitement, not fear. And that's really yes. helped me. Yeah, it definitely helps me too. You are a voracious reader and you have so many fantastic book recommendations on your social media, but is there one book that you've read or even a favourite inspirational quote that's helped you on your way in your confidence journey? Yeah, for me, my big go-to is the top Five Regrets of the Dying from Bronnie Ware. She's a palliative care nurse and she wrote basically, she pulled all her stories together and started to realise there was a theme in the things that people were saying kind of on their last breath or on during their last days and she put those into the five top regrets and it's a book that it shifted me on a cellular level and I think tapping into that wisdom of someone who is facing their last day I think that's a really powerful reminder of our mortality and that was a huge game changer for me 
I read it often. Me too. I love that book. Yeah. And um, we're going to link to that in the show notes. That had a really similar effect on me, Carly. And now uh, whenever I'm feeling too scared to do something or, you know, fearful of putting myself out of my comfort zone, I often think about the lessons in that book. And I think, well, if I was at the end of my life, would I regret not doing this? And that's such a powerful driver. Yeah, and there's a quote which I'm going to read out, which you've got on your business cards. You've got, um, you know, if anyone attends your workshops, you have like a supersized version of this quote and I love it. And that is, there are people less qualified than you doing the things you want to do simply because they decide to believe in themselves, period. So good. It's so good, isn't it? And it's the truth. It really is the truth. And if we can really channel that and believe in that, it it does make it easier at that point where we're making the decision to step forward or to remain where we are. Now, I'd love to know you've you've come so far in your confidence journey, but you, as you mentioned, it's something we have to work on every single day and with every new opportunity. I'd love to know what the future of confidence looks like for you and what you're working on in yourself right now that will take you to where you next want to be in life. Yeah, for me, actually, the big shift or the thing that I'm really working on at the moment is... A, trusting myself and just trusting in my abilities, but also not putting so much pressure on deadlines and actually starting to take my own advice, quite frankly, and realize that I'm in this for life and I am myself for life. You know, if I'm talking about my body of work and my, for my, the rest of my life, I want to stop rushing myself so much and actually just enjoy the process of unfolding and becoming and growing and not feel like, oh, I have to be a published author by next year or I have to have 10,000 followers by, you know, day dots and that will mean that I'm on the right track to becoming successful or whatever else. For me now it's about really controlling those thoughts and knowing that, I am just going to go on this journey. I'm going to put myself out there as much as possible. I'm going to say yes to opportunities, but I'm not going to put deadlines on myself and I'm not going to put unrealistic expectations in place. I'm just going to go with it and just enjoy it and know that I I want to be doing whatever I'm doing for the the rest of my life and I'll probably change the way I do things as I evolve as a person and Yeah, I just, that's where I'm at right now. Oh my goodness. It sounds like you and I are working on exactly the same (laughs) thing because I feel like when you're really goal oriented and you have a thousand new ideas every day, you, and, and you also have that feeling that time is passing you by, you know, you've had an experience in your life that has really reminded you of that, that you can get all up in your own head of, I've got to get this done. Time's running out. You know, I've got so many things I want to achieve. And what I'm really working on is, surrendering more and trusting the process and being rather than just doing all the time and it is it's tough I've got to tell you it's tough it doesn't it goes against my natural (laughs) I know and can I just say one last thing because I think this is really important and I think women do this especially because and I know that I've 
caught myself thinking these things as well. But women especially tie their kind of value and their ability to put themselves out there to their age and appearance. So they think, Mm. oh, if I'm not out there achieving this by the time I'm 55 or 60, I'm going to start aging more rapidly and nobody wants to listen to an old lady. And there's this Mm. whole old lady syndrome where it's like, by the time we've reached 60, oh, that's it. We're, we're going to be putting ourselves on a shelf and when we're not of any value anymore, we become invisible. And I feel like the only way we can change that as a society is if more women change the narrative. And the only way we can change the narrative is to actually do things differently. So more women actually need to be putting themselves out there well into their 60s and 70s and not feel like, oh, just because I'm not young and beautiful anymore, that I I can't be seen. And I think that's, especially in your industry, Katrina, I feel like I see a lot of women put a lot of pressure on themselves to look a certain way. And I do think the networks put pressure on women to look a certain way. And that's not healthy. We need to, as an industry and as a society, start to change that so that women feel like it's okay to have wrinkles on their face and still be out in the public eye. We can have a forehead that creases and still be valuable. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And, you know, I look to a lot of pressure on women. As you say, it's it's my industry working in the media. I look to the US where, you know, people like Barbara Walters and and other women who have been able to age and they're they're given that um, authority and respect that they deserve. And so I I can see signs that it is changing here in Australia, but I hope to be part of that next wave as we go forward. Yeah. Such a great chat, Carly. Thank you. You've given us so many gems. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Stay connected by following Claiming Your Confidence or me, Katrina Blowers, on Instagram. For more information on this or other episodes, head to katrinablowers.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and make sure you share it with anyone you think would benefit from a confidence pick-me-up. Claiming Your Confidence is created and produced by me, Katrina Blowers. Audio thanks to Turn. Term 6 podcast productions. I hope you're having a great week. Thank you for listening to Claiming Your Confidence.